I feel like there's like a lot of the the usual trope of like startup people who are just like insufferable. But then there's like a bunch of people who are actually really nice. Like not not all yes. startup people are insufferable. Only mm. most startup. Then we're talking about San Francisco, <laughs> San Francisco specifically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, especially here. I, I think if if you're insufferable and startup person, you should probably be here. Okay, the, so that's the plug, everyone, for why you should move to San Francisco. If you're if you are scary living, <laughs> once again, not everyone is insufferable. I promise. So is Kevin insufferable? Just a huge amount of us. No, I'm not. And I mean, he's here, right? Yeah. There you go. Okay, right, Thank you, right. Siddharth. Okay, let's Julian. orient ourselves. Okay. Uh, <laughs> First of all, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, please, if it's okay with you, I have actually have a great bio of you with including a bunch of little factoids, but please go ahead and introduce yourself uh, to our increasingly large audience from more places than Finland now. We, we even have some Americans. I heard about it. Go for it. Oh, I love <laughs> it. There's a dozen? Yeah, um, maybe even hundreds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there's hundreds. There's hundreds. <laughs> maybe. All five of you out there. Uh, I'm Siddharth. I am uh, also a second-time founder. Um, my first company was an education company. It started in 2013. Built it, to, uh, built it through uh, 2020 through an acquisition in 2019. Um, got it up to about 40 million in ARR. Had a team of like 70-some, uh, 80-something bad at acquisition time. Uh, left uh, after a year and a half and decided to build another company because I am a glutton for punishment. Mm. Uh, and now I have the distinct uh, honor of building a SaaS company during uh, a, a SaaS company serving SaaS companies in 2023, which is mm -hmm. uh, a special kind of pain indeed. Um, and uh, we basically help finance teams understand their subscription businesses better. How is it going? Talk to us about how the progress has gone on your second thing relative to your first thing. Your first thing, Freckle, turned out pretty good for you as far as I understand it. And you could have done something else. Instead, you decide to do this. Are you, yeah. are you, are you, are you doing, a, doing a better job at it now? Like, the, didn't you think the first time? What are some mistakes that you avoided? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's so many bad times. So after, uh, after leaving Freckle, I, um, especially when I was in my choir, I basically like started writing this giant doc of like everything that I could remember that I should definitely do differently. Mm. Uh, and it ended up being like, this thing is like a Google doc. It's like 15 pages long at this point. Uh, and it's essentially like all the things I could possibly think of just in raw format. Uh, yeah. And I review it like reasonably often. Um, mm. And there's some things that have gone like way smoother than last time. So my first time, one, I was building right. an education company and two, the time was 2013, 2014, yeah. 2015. Like it was like super hard to fundraise, all these things. Obviously starting a company as a second-hand founder in like 2021, fundraising wasn't hard. That like happened almost instantly. Mm -hmm. But also other things that happened way better is like, it was like way easier to build a team. Uh, people yeah. trust you more. Uh, you yep. also know, like, what kind of people you want to work with and, like, what works out for you and what doesn't work out for you. Um, what you a lot don't of things... want to work with, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. A lot of what I don't want to work with, for sure. Um, a lot of the things, like, around, um, uh, you know, what can go wrong culturally? Uh, and they were, mm. like, queer. I don't know that you guys feel this, but, like, I feel like uh, there was a point where we went from like three people to 10 people where like certain things broke culturally last time. And then at 20 people, a whole lot more stuff broke. And then like yep. at like 40 or 50 people, a whole bunch of more stuff broke. 
Uh, and I, I kind of at least knew that part of the movie this time. And so mm -hmm. like a lot of that stuff, like I thought it was not this time. Cause like, I just, I just like set it up a little bit better. Yeah. Um, yeah. So all of those things are like way better. Hard part is still finding product market fit is as hard as ever. Like that yeah. is not getting yeah. any easier. It's such uh, a, it's such a, everything is a crowded market a little bit, right? Oh yeah. That's, that's totally true. Like. I feel like there's so many more startups now than 2013. So, mm -hmm. and, and sure. which is good for you. Why don't you talk about your new your new product you're building, and how did you actually come to that from yeah. coming from the ed tech space? Yeah. So my last business was a, uh, was a SaaS business. We sold the schools and districts, um, and we we essentially like had these places where our data around our customers lived, like Salesforce and QuickBooks, and a little bit in Stripe. Uh, but then to actually do any of the things like um, understand what their churn rate, what's their retention rate, uh, understand mm -hmm. cohorts of customers, segments of customers, that type of stuff. We did have this like massive Google Sheet model and a little bit yeah. ops team working on that model, like two, three people mm -hmm. on that team. Um, and that thing just got like hairier and hairier and hairier. And by the time mm -hmm. you were at like five-ish million ARR, that thing like barely loaded. Like you'd change a cell and then you'd have to go out to lunch while right. your computer did that. This is like pre-M1 MacBook, so it would make that sound like it was about to take off. Um, and uh, that that was like just a huge pain in the butt. And um, we were also under the constant terror of getting it wrong. Um, like, sure. Are we, are we basically like, are these numbers actually wrong? And then um, any kind of, sophisticated or mildly sophisticated analysis we wanted to do it was like it's just not happening right. um and then from there uh i'm sure this is familiar you all have done this too like went into just the deep hole of trying to understand like is this is just, just a problem i had or do other people have this problem too and yeah essentially found mm -hmm. that like everyone's doing it the same exact way until the companies got super big uh like you know uh reaching hundreds of millions in arr then they basically hire a data team that works for the finance yep. team to specifically do this um, hiring a data team, not that, not that cheap. Um, and so this is like, for us, we come in when the spreadsheet is starting to break, uh, but well before you're going to be hiring a data team. And ideally, you'll never need to do that. Siddharth, uh, we'll say, um, I'm, cu I'm curious, you know, you, as, as when you're a second time founder, you kind of feel like, oh, okay, I, I know what my starting team should be like these days. Like, for me, I, I, I had an understanding of my own skill set that I didn't have, obviously, the first time because I had never really done it before. I was wondering what you believe your like core team to surround you needed to be to build something. And also like, what was your first like financed amount? It must've been bigger than the last time, but like walk us through the, the, the process a little bit as to how, it, how, how you, the internal dialogue as to like, okay, what am I going to need to get where I got to go? Yeah. And then, yeah. So talk to us a little bit about that. I'd be super curious. Yeah, um, there's a lot this time that I focused on um, my preventing my eventual burnout because I was feeling like pretty burnt out towards yeah. the end of, uh, of the last thing. Mm. Uh, a lot of nods over was, here. It should come. Um, mm. it, it was, That's what I feel like right six now. Six years in. Shit is hard. Yeah. Shit is real hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there, a lot of the things that I did, like in setting up this company, was around avoiding that. And one of the things I realized is like I, I, the go-to-market stuff is not my favorite stuff at all. Like okay. product and engineering stuff is by far my favorite stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the first things I did was convince uh, one of the people who 
pretty much the best person who worked for me in my last company uh, mm-hmm. to join me in this one. Uh, and she's uh, she's going to like, she is already and will continue to basically own all the data market type of stuff. Uh, yeah. She's incredible and uh, is able to sort of get her to leave her uh, job. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, that was, that was like one of the first big things. That is the, yeah, the, I, the I, that resonates with me a lot. That's the identical thing that I did at my company, except we didn't um, stop. So we weren't required at ship. Um, but yeah, I did not love the go to market piece. So I, I actually joined my co-founder. She was doing all that for me at ship and I brought her along um, as a co-founder. And I uh, wanted to focus more on the product. So it's so interesting. It's exactly the same thing for me. Did you guys give away more or less of the company than last time? I'm curious. I'll tell you my experience afterwards, but I'm really curious about in my, in my first company, it was, there was a, a certainly not equal split between the two co-founders because I was supported the, maybe the originating person. And there was a second person as well that joined afterwards a little bit. And I, uh, the, then I used equity specifically here in a different way. I was wondering if that's something that ever occurred to you when you were building your second one. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did think about though, um, so generally like e- even with fundraising, actually my, my thinking initially was like, oh, let me like try to uh, optimize for dilution. And as I kind of got into the fundraising process, I, um, I don't know, I like even during it, I started caring a little bit less because it, mm-hmm. it felt like um, I, I know like the, the pithy way to say it is like f- outcomes are binary and like it sometimes yeah, feels yeah. like, well, that's true. And sometimes it feels like it's not true. I'm still landing on that. It's more or less true. Um, outcomes mm-hmm. are basically binary. Um, and, uh, the, the difference at the margins wasn't like, that wasn't good enough. If I thought about my last company and the exit or whatever, like if like it were marginally more marginally less, like that wasn't really the thing that was going to matter so, so much. Um. But then on the flip side, like, you know, there's the pie is only a hundred percent and like, sure. um, it, you could, you could definitely, you could definitely mess it up by a lot of, a lot of small attacks. Um, so I don't know, I continue to actually kind of struggle with that question. Andy, I, I, I see you nodding heavily. What, what's your experience on this? So, uh, it's interesting. I, I'm, I go back and forth for should people be equal co-founders, should folks should you have over equitized people, under equitized people? I think at, at my previous company, we were definitely a little, we were definitely a little bit more on the stingier side. At Dow, I try to over equitize. Um, I don't know which will be successful. I think you all should come back to me in a few years. I think sure. the goal, obviously, though, is when you have strong performers to reward them. And you can basically always fix that after the fact. But you don't know when you're hiring someone, are they going to be mm-hmm. the best of the best, the top 10%, or are they going to be a very mediocre person? And mm-hmm. I still, after hiring so many people today, can't get that one right. Like, uh, like I, my, I, my process of interviewing is so much more thorough, but still, you don't really, the thing you were impressed by, and I keep pretty rigorous notes, like I thought this person was a four on five on this, in this dimension, a three on five in this dimension, but I don't, I, I, I'll tell you my track record of hiring duds is lower, I will say. Uh, that is the one of the main things that made a difference for me. There's, there's less duds and there's more people that are at least good than before. Siddhartha, I see you kind of nodding. I sort of think that's, oh, so I don't know if my track record of hiring people who don't work out is lower 
I might actually be similar. I am <laughs> a little bit faster to correct that, though. Yeah, that's uh, great. Actually, I'm a, a lot, a lot faster to correct that. Uh, sure. It's on the order of weeks rather than months at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing I will say is that I o- often have this experience where I'm entering someone. And I'm like, oh, this is where I think they'll be weak. Uh, this is like where they're two out of five. Sure. Uh, and I find that either um, if they're if they're not good, it, that turned mm. out to be right. Uh, yeah. But there's times where like it turns out that is actually weakness, but it doesn't matter. And that's right. the thing I'm having. I still have trouble with. Like I found a weakness that I'm feel pretty good is a weakness. Like I think my read on this is right. The question is, does it actually matter enough? Uh, mm-hmm. Or are they going to be able to compensate for it with all the other things? That there is that thing where people up. say they're just they like. Uh... Oh, it's just you look for superpowers. Don't worry too much about the weaknesses. The all-rounders yeah. kind of never end up. I, this is a big generalization, but they don't end up making a big difference in a company as all-rounders. It's those people, you know, someone on my team recently called this a spiky hire, which meant strong yeah. weaknesses, maybe, but also really good strengths that are out, like, out of the ordinary able to affect your, your business. I, I definitely do find that people with like the insane spikes, um, all, you can, you can forgive almost everything else because it's worth it. They're worth Except it. for being an asshole or not a <laughs> player. Yeah. Agree. Those are two things that no you just assholes. can't. I, yeah. I, I mm. definitely, my, yeah, my, my first venture back company, like I was just like, no, you know, they're an asshole. They get so much work done. I, w- I just won't compromise. Those are like the two attributes that I won't. Won't mm-hmm. do it, even if they are like just an outperformer, the ten x engineer, or whatever. They, they, it just, it just kills an entire team. Yeah. I, I, talk, I was just talking to somebody about this on a one on one a few moments ago. At my previous business, I deliberately kept them, and I'm going to tell you what the result of that was. Well, I mean, you know, it's a big business with a hundred plus million raised, but like you. So first of all, I the the reason that I kept them, I wanted people to make sure that I had didn't have yes men around me. And if something was going wrong, that they would tell me. And boy, did they ever. Okay. So that definitely worked. But the consequence of that was a culture. Uh, I mean, you know, it's 250 people. I'm sure some of them might listen to this in the future or the present and be like, that, that asshole Julian didn't even understand what was going on. I don't know. They definitely are. It's it. Yeah, great. I uh, can't wait. Uh, comment section. And so, the, but my point is, is, is that it will mess with the culture of the company. So my attitude now is, is way more consensus with all y'all. Like zero, don't let it happen. I tried, I experimented with it. We got far, but that was a gigantic mistake and you can't recover from it. Joe, what are your thoughts I on this? I think there's a... Let's pull Joe into here into this. He's got yeah, lots so, of... Wisdom. Sorry, the similar thing, like... Have definitely let it go too far in the past, and like to think that uh, that's not something that's going to happen in the future. It's so hard in the moment, uh, but I will take chances on people. Like if hmm. I think someone's really good, even if there's something I'm like, well, I don't know about that thing, but this other thing is like if that skill or attribute hits. Man, we're going to be going so much faster and doing so much better. Like I'll take the shot and you know, and pull it out if it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Less fear to do that also. Yeah. A big worry at, at me at the first time, so Arthur, tell me what you think about this, is, oh my God, if I, hi- if I fire this person, my company will fall apart. Uh, did you ever feel that? 
a lot of times the first time. Yeah. yeah. And I realized that it's literally never true. That was, yeah, it will never happen. Actually, you're going to be fine. Yeah. You will always be fine. I think we all have felt that. That's so interesting. You say that and everyone's nodding in agreement. I thought that was just me. What story comes to mind, Siddharth, with, when, it, when it comes to this? Can you think of a particular example? Anonymize it, obviously, but yeah, you want to give an example. Or not. <laughs> yeah, it's up to you. Just by Call five. them out. <laughs> There's like, um, I feel like with leaders, um, I, I don't know where I read this, but somewhere, somewhere authoritative said like, come on, like half of them don't end up working out. That has mm-hmm. also been my experience. Um, yep. And each one... Uh, when they weren't working out, like almost always, like the culture thing is like extra important with the leaders, right? So like it wasn't that they were low confidence. It was just like they were lower in bit, um, which, uh, because yeah, they wouldn't have gotten there if they were low confidence. Um, and for each one of them, it always felt like this will be the end of the world. If mm-hmm. like, I'll have to do all their stuff and oh my God, like all these other mm-hmm. people will also quit if they quit, if, if like you let them go. Totally. And I feel we have like, all these people we need to hire and who's going to run the hiring process. And there's like all these like people to manage and one-on-ones so mm-hmm. is going to do all that stuff. And like, um, I'm not going to say like, it was like ever pleasant once you let them go, but like, it wasn't the end of the world. It was like fine. And like three, four months later, you, you definitely ended up with someone who is better at the thing that that person. Yeah. You know, it's almost like, at. this is a kind of an exaggeration, but like, it's almost like if someone really does want to quit and they want to, it's like, just let them go. Like, yeah. don't try to keep them in any totally. way. Totally, yes. I actually agree mm-hmm. with that. This is, this be yeah, like, totally yeah, easy. Would you, Whatever. were the people you were hiring mostly come out of education or mostly come out of tech? Or how was that challenge of merging those worlds? Yeah. Actually, that works out really well. It was really interesting. Um, from, the, from the product engineering design side, uh, we hired mostly people who had like experience with that stuff. So they didn't mostly come from education. Mm-hmm. Maybe there were a couple of people who were like formerly teachers who had um, switched careers, but largely mm-hmm. it was like people who were like career tech people. Uh, but then on the um, success sales um, and, and mostly success and sales side, we actually ended up hiring a lot of former teachers. And that worked out really well because um, huh. the, the teachers, they have like, they have professional experience, just not in an office setting. Um, but they have like incredibly high empathy and all these skills that like lead to someone being a good teacher. Um, and that, that ended up creating a pretty good culture around, mm. um, Ooh. around the whole company. And then having a bunch of like, we, we hired a ton of our former users, um, because they would like, that's great. The company. Really? Uh, mm-hmm. Until like having a bunch of like, formal users and former users and stuff like that was like, it was actually really nice. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it would create a culture of super pounds. Because it's people that not only love the product, but then who also are right. like, I love this so much, I want to be a part of it. And that that can be infectious. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think it also meant that during like sales and success processes, for example, like they yeah. were speaking from experience, they'd be like, well, in my classroom, here's right. how I... Right, that's and, awesome. And, like that was like a game changer. What is the... Did you, were, you have... Go ahead, Kevin, after you. No, Andy, I think Andy needs to begin. Oh. You go, Kevin. Um, I was. I, I, I'm going to change the subject then. Um, I'm curious. Uh, so now you're in. Uh, you're you're a SaaS product. Um, so you're selling this um, massive spreadsheet in the cloud. 
that's supposed to take in all, all your data and to be able, you should be able to, to manipulate it and it'll spit out some actionable insights, hopefully. Um, I'm curious, given the environment right now, um, is, it a, is it a good time to be building a company like this, given that you could potentially help save the company's money? Or the, on, you take the opposite view is that SaaS companies are looking to where they could cut costs, right? And so like, they're just like, no, Excel or what we'll use our BI tool that we're already using in a way that to do this. How are you mm -hmm. finding that? I know you're still, and also maybe a separate, but also um, similar question. I, I, I guess you, you haven't quite found, you're still searching for a product market fit yet. So maybe too early to even answer that question. No, no, we definitely feel both forces. So, so we've been around long enough and have, I guess, enough of a product market fit to be able to answer it. Okay. Um, so for existing customers, once they're like relying on it, because it basically becomes a place where like the business's core financial data ends up getting right. They're, they're right. like, they're not going anywhere. They, they love mm -hmm. it. They, you know, trust it. Uh, this is how they run their business. This is like in every leadership meeting, every board meeting. This is how like ties are broken in terms of like decisions. So like that's, that's going great. Um, so not so much like, oh, we're trying to cut things out. Um, and then on the sort of like alternative side of like, oh, if we do this in-house, we're going to need like, well, someone to build the data pipelines from right. like Salesforce and from NetSuite. And we're going to need someone to like uh, actually like transform and munge the data together and dedupe and all of that stuff. Like once they start thinking through, okay, so that's like a team of like two, three people, then it's like a no-brainer, right? Because it saves quite a bit of money. But on the flip side, uh, at a time like this, I'm finding that people are most interested in buying um, sales tools above all else. Um, right. Because Ooh. like, I'm seeing even like less, less like engineering tools. People are trying to cut. Heck, we're trying to, um, we, uh, to, to simplify things when starting out, we started on Heroku. And even now we're like, well, should we like reduce some of the like Heroku costs? Like, I don't yeah. know if this is worth it. Like, um, and, and that's not a thing I would have ever asked in like 2021 when money was like literally falling from the skies. Right. Uh, but mm -hmm. like now you're kind of like, ooh. And so like, I'm finding that basically generally investing, uh, people are looking to like, what will help me sell more? And that is literally the start and end of the list of, of places mm -hmm. I want to invest money. Yeah. Um, and so selling to finance, which is GNA is like easier in some ways and that should be higher data team, obviously not, um, right. that's not right. going to work out. Uh, but on the flip side, like, just like, we'll just deal with the pain of like whatever pains we're dealing with and like, mm -hmm. um, maybe everyone can work 20% harder or works. Is it true? Like, like, like finance people are used to suffering, right? It's kind of the thing. So since they're used to suffering, they're like, I can deal with this for like another year is I, I. Well, anyway, that would be, that would be how that's we would have That's the most common it. sort of failure mode for us in terms yeah, of yeah, like yeah. acquiring a new customer. They're like, I'll just, I can't get, but I, um, I am telling everyone else that they cannot spend money. Right. I right. can't just turn around mm -hmm. and spend a bunch of money. So right. that is the most common failure mode for us. Um, yeah. But um, I don't know. It, so it, I think when the pain gets like severe enough, we still mm -hmm. are able to get customers, but... Uh, the the macro environment definitely hits us, right? Do, you, do how do you think of it? Like, are you looking to replace like the operating model that that does live in Excel, or do you have maybe aspirations to go into a little more other BI tools? Right. So like, we use Mode. We're getting rid of Mode because it sucks. 
Um, I would use Looker previously as well. Um, those are, those are places that you could do some like trickery to kind of build this like operating model. How do you, how do you see the product today and, and, and also it's going to evolve? Yeah. It's, that's essentially the thing that we end up replacing is like taking all your, um, data from Salesforce, NetSuite, all these places, uh, shoving it into Snowflake, um, doing the sort of transformations in Snowflake and then building the looker, uh, looks on top of it and then yep. continue iterating on those and then like doing one-off analyses and that, that stuff, yep. we basically replace that. Um, so it ends up being like, we call it a data platform for finance teams. It's right. whatever data needs the finance team has, um, in a, in a tool that's actually usable for them. Um, mm -hmm. And then it helps them answer questions for the rest of the company. Uh, so everything from like ROI questions to segmentation questions, stuff like that. Uh, have you that's been the direction? Go. Have you been pulled into like other teams, like product teams um, or anything else like that? I can imagine, like to me, uh, like starting a co company, like I'm not probably not going to want to have a, a couple different tools, right? To start off, I'd rather just have one. Um, have you been pulled there and have you made a decision not to go there? A little bit, actually. So it's interesting. This this was something that was driven off something I wished I had, which is yeah. um, understanding things like, does usage of this actually drive higher net retention? Like, does it, right. does it prevent right. churn slash increase upsell? And so that's mm -hmm. one of the things that we do do in, in Subscript because all the financial and sort of like recurring revenue information is there. We can now start joining it with the the actual specific product usage interesting information uh, yeah. that's been really powerful for for a lot of our customers right because that goes back to the people that are trying to buy because they want a sales tool so you're kind of finding a way to turning it into a revenue generator in your yeah. pitch so to speak yeah yeah that's like one of the one of the big sort of pitch points is like uh mm -hmm. which where should you add another sdr who are actually better long-term customers yeah. for you or like where should you spend more money like which trade show should you invest in Rather than right. just looking at like um, hypothetical conversions, but also are looking at like, well, who's actually good customers? Like who should be your ICP? I'm you're, you're making me wonder about, as I'm sort of thinking about the panel that we have here today, I went from a company that was bottom up kind of SaaS sort of to bottom up SaaS again. Kevin went from consumer to a little bit of market SMB, but in the same vertical. Joe, we know built consumer, 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 twice free, one time, uh, amazingly asked people to pay. And then Andy went from uh, Nanit, which is still alive and uh, is is doing uh, really great at a number one baby monitor, maybe or something in America, or I have no idea. And then went into a completely different vertical, which was SaaS for kind of enterprise, but sort of bottom up at the same time. Did, did you feel that your thing, your go-to-market choice was more of a, uh, something that you want to keep rather than the, uh, the market, which was clearly really meaningfully different. Yeah. Um, so my last time was actually bottoms up. Uh, we, mm. we basically, that was, that was part of our like innovation was giving it things away to teachers, which not really many people had thought to do in 2013. Um, Education kind of lags behind the rest of tech. Um, and um, I loved doing go to market. I don't know, doing bottoms up. Uh, I don't know if you all feel the same, but like mm -hmm. I thought that was like a much better way to actually sell. 
Um, and we'd have like all these product qualified leads that would come in and we would uh, sell to the schools or the districts. And, you know, we'd have like the bottoms up turn into um, eventually million dollar deals and stuff. So like, wow. it, yeah. it, like really worked. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, this business, because there's like so much integration and configuration to be yeah. done, um, it can't quite work self-serve. Um, mm -hmm. so the, right. so the bottoms up motion was just not available. And um, I really wish it were, because uh, I think bottoms up is amazing. It's interesting as it, it makes me realize like, you know, because like, Andy, you always mention Frank Slootman all the time. And I read his book as a CEO and you just mentioned him a moment ago, sir. So it's like, it's like he definitely as a CEO, but not a founder. It's like, if I can like, give me a sales team, I'm going to bring in the, the head of sales. Bam, I'm going to sell the shows thing, a hundred million in revenue in two years or whatever. It makes me wonder if all of us just don't really know how to do that. And that's why we're doing this, you know, because I've only learned how to sell in the first business. I knew how to sell one-on-one -on -one to investors, but I didn't know how to build a team. And I still actually still have a lot to learn with regards to that. I, I, we're all in the same place, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I think everyone here is probably in that. Julie, uh, Kevin's good at it. <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of not. Ours is a little different. So like we have a two-sided marketplace. We help um, uh, direct-to-consumer companies like Andy's, Nenit, um, with their fulfillment. Uh, we actually have a pretty high minimum for customers, but we have a two-sided marketplaces. We don't actually have the warehouses. So we had to get some of those smaller customers early on. We made a conscious choice not to do the self-serve onboarding because we don't actually want all the customers. The, 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 some customers are just not good for our partners. And now it, it's now we're getting to a point where we are selling those million dollar deals. And I must say, it is a lot of a, it's hell of a lot. Uh, uh, I don't know. Um, it's, it's a lot more fun. Uh, and also, I, I don't know, you just get kind of addicted to like these big deals and closing yeah. them. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's, it's once you understand a little bit of the mechanics, like I said, the one downside is like the long sales cycle, especially for us. It's like, oh, next next quarter or the, or the after the holidays or something like that. That's like the one downside. But like some of these deals, like they could be like, like eventually for us, well, it'll be tens of millions of dollars in net revenue. Um, sure. As we continue to go up market, we're not there yet, uh, mm -hmm. but maybe in the next couple of years, we definitely will be. But I, I'm really addicted to this type of company. So I definitely could see like the snowflakes of the world. Like that's, it's a really long sales process. The implementation time is long, but like mm -hmm. once you get them, especially if, if you have like, if, if it's really hard to leave your platform, that's just like re recurring revenue and you just like. You just get the sales motion. You get these sales, good sales leaders, and you just like ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Um, yeah, I I prefer now, given I've I've also I've done consumer, I've I've done um, SMB, um, I've done bottom up. I like this model the most, and this is why I could see so many enterprise um, uh, founders go back to the same sort of. They're like, well, I saw this problem here. And I now I know how to build a sales team and That's go to market right. and all of this yeah. and 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 just do it again, but just in a, a different product. I could totally see being pulled into that just based on my. I've only done this now, like you've only started closing these larger deals in the last like year or so. But like it is addictive. Yeah. Well, it's like the people that are sales in sales can become the CEO, but if it's if that doesn't happen, 
most often than not, what we're experiencing is a, is a consumer-ish or startup-ish problem. Sid Arthur, you described a startup-ish problem, right? Which is, I've got this set, this gigantic Excel spreadsheet that barely loads, right? And there's got to be something here that's better. And but for me, it was always, oh, I noticed consumers are doing this thing. If I had an ease... If I had an easy way to hire a sales team and immediately make a first couple million bucks, like in the first year, of course I would do that. But it's just like, it was never in my DNA, but I, you know, maybe we should all be learning to do that. Uh, it, it, Siddharth, I'm curious, you have, you have a reputation for not having any meetings at your company. Uh, talk to us about the, what hurt you and, yeah. uh, <laughs> and the also how, how you make this how you make this possible yeah um so this is part of the like you know second time want to do things that will leave me happier with my job um and my last company i think a, a part of it was as we um as we grew the number of meetings like became bigger and like just like the whole day would be more yep. into evening and meetings uh, I'm I'm not an extrovert. Like I'm very much an introvert. I, this is why I like product engineering work more than anything. I like like my happy place is like headphones mm. and and like uh, writing code. Um, so. And so that like just kind of became a little bit a little bit much for me. Uh, and then we got acquired, and the company that acquired us is, is not huge. It's like uh, I don't know, eleven twelve hundred people. Uh, but every meeting would have like twenty people in it. Um, right. And mm -hmm. it was like. Uh, soon after we got acquired, COVID hit and it was, it was like, uh, a bunch of people on zoom video off, uh, and uh, like three people in videos on or whatever. Uh, yeah. and you're just like the entire time you're wondering, what am I doing here? Like, what is going yeah. on? Why am I here? Yeah. Um, and I just, I, I really, my, my dislike for meetings, like reached a fever pitch at that point. Uh, so you're always fighting your last battle. And I've been right after that, I, I started working on this. I was like, I'm just not going to any more meetings. Like I, I'm yeah. through. Um, and so subscript has zero internal meeting. I still have to talk to customers. Like they're not going to operate mm -hmm. asynchronously with me. Sure. Um, yep. so I do that, uh, in like prospects and customers and stuff like that, but literally no, no internal meetings at all. Tactically. So it feels to me like the all-in-one, all-hands meeting is the thing that you would need maybe the most. Yeah. I turned that into a um, async loom and uh, reply hmm. videos plus comments thing. Yeah. It's weekly, so I do it even more often than I did mm -hmm. in my last company. Got it. Uh, and essentially what happens is every Sunday night, I sit down and I ask myself, like, what is the thing that I really want everyone to know this week? And yep. I try to focus on a couple of those things. Mm -hmm. And I put together a little doc. I talk through it for about like 10 minutes. Okay. And then I send that out. Uh, mm -hmm. And if you're listening at 2x, it's five minutes for you. Um, yep. And uh, essentially people like watch and, and comment back on the doc and the video. Very and we essentially end up having a little async discussion the first either day of the week. Andy, what were you going to say? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, uh, I find it super. Go ahead, Kev. I was, I was saying, uh, so I, I find it. Go. <laughs> We have a little lag here, apparently. Um, <laughs> how do you do tactically things that require some collaboration? Like for for me to get over like a product design meeting, like doing that asynchronously, just like like I just that does not compute. Like, how do you do things like that that require some collaboration? And like, I I also am a big in person uh, per person. Um, I don't 
prefer working from home or or remotely. Um, I like to be in the same room and get energy. I also am an extrovert. Um, I also know that Shopify, Toby, he just recently announced that he's doing no, no meetings as well. And he sounds like he's got a similar personality to you. Um, but how do you how do you do those like collaboration, like energy feeding meetings that you, you, you I've I really I've been in some really good ones before and some amazing stuff yeah. come, come out of them. I think like um, I wouldn't say that you don't give up something when you do this, right? Like there's always trade offs. Um, right. And the, the things you trade off are one, um, you're not sitting next to and seeing people every single day. Yeah. Um, so relationship building takes a little more effort. I still actually, we got pretty close so far. Um, and the way we did it is um, we're trying to do three-ish offsites a year. Um, and then we also do um, like every month we'll do a sort of like game evening or like sort of just shoot the shit type of uh, thing. Uh, so that plus a really... Um, you probably have uh, really like sort of vibrant Slack cultures or people like making jokes and all that stuff. Like we have maybe even more of that because right. that's the only place this stuff happens. Mm -hmm. um, but you do give up, definitely give up a lot of like the in-person bouncing ideas off each other in like a more rapid way. The thing that you do gain on the flip side is that um, everything that people are saying is like a little more thought through um, because the, the cycle right. is a little bit longer. Um, you know, we are spread out all over the world. So when I'm working is not when other people are necessarily mm -hmm. working. Yeah. So you have to make sure that I, I like do one or two more steps of thinking. I haven't been shooting the first thing out of my mouth uh, because then like I'm anticipating a little bit of like, oh, then this person will think this to let me go one level deeper or two levels deeper. And then when I do that, it like makes my thought process a little bit better or I might like end up changing my mind or whatever. So I think there's like trade-offs here. Um, I wouldn't say that um, we have something just like that, but I'd say that it works out. How does sure, everybody see your brain is... working here? Talk to me. I mean, I'm imagining it because it sounds great in so many ways. I guess the thing I worry is, uh, like the, you're, it sounds like you're trading some sense of momentum uh, around iterating for higher quality hopefully like uh kind of cut measure twice cut once type outcome is that like a fair way to think about it it's interesting because personality wise i am like very far from measure twice cut <laughs> i think i'm i'm like very impulsive i would say in general and like very go 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 um so i i don't know if if that and maybe maybe that tendency of mine is tempered as a result yeah. of this um um that I like, yeah, I, I'm a bit like ADD esque in that sense. Um, I think what what it's more is um, things that are on the scale of like fifteen minute back and forths now end up being on the scale of like four hour back and forths. So that's it. But right. anything that's like on the scale of like a day or a week is the same, right? Mm -hmm. Like a thing that would be back and forth over a day, like a design iteration or like. Uh, a bug six or um, mm -hmm. like stuff like that, that's still like the same. Yeah. I will say like we deliberately chose, I'd be really curious about where your teams, we, we have a deliberate line. It goes as far as Europe, which is like five hours away from mm -hmm. Eastern. And then it goes mm -hmm. as far as Oakland-ish, which is three hours away in the other direction. And so we have an 8.30 a.m. meeting, Pacific, 
which becomes a 5.30 p.m. meeting in Europe. Now, we won't go further than that, knowing that our core time ends up being 8.30 a.m. if you're Pacific or 11.30 Eastern. And though that it, what it does is it does force, as, as sort of you're, think, you're talking about it, it forces only like one hour during the day where everyone can really be there. And so it does minimize big meetings. But I'm just thinking about this idea of walk, walking up to my office, my computer, so to speak, and, and not talking to anybody, and it freaks me out. So I find it very interesting. I run a meeting software company. I run Vowel, um, and I had a reaction to a lot of this distributed work. My past company, Nanit, and for anyone who doesn't know, Nanit were very spread out across the world. And so I'm a very big proponent of async, but I can't go to async first and fully no meetings. So what I like to do and how we run Val is we have internal meetings. Um, we have a Monday, we have a staff meeting, we have an all hands. We definitely have internal meetings, but we record everything. We use our own product and we turn it into instant searchable, shareable knowledge. And so, so much of the time people say, I can't make it, but I will watch it. And they'll watch hmm. it at 2x speed on their iPhone. And so everyone feels like everyone's on the same page. Yeah. And it doesn't get into these four, six hour back and forth Slack threads, which I find are yeah, those so are difficult in that async first model. So I like async, but I think about it as it was supposed to be synchronous first, and then it's consumed by other folks in an async matter. So manner. So that's how we run Vowel. And I find it very interesting speaking to the fully sync companies out there. Um, the, 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 I can't the split do up, The split up between Kevin, because Kevin is, he admitted, he admits, I'm extroverted. And I, I remember your office at Airhouse when I visited it. It's where I learned to make Chemex coffee, if I remember correctly. That's and, right. And I, uh, having gone there, I know you're not at that location anymore, but you're still super pro doing that. I, I imagine some of the audience is in, is in person, unless they're at the office, busy doing whatever they do there. And, and everyone else is async and we're listening to 80% async kind of founders on this, on this, in this, in this podcast right here. So, uh, it's, it's amazing that 80% of people are like, yeah, I'm doing async and I'm staying that way. And you're sitting, Kevin, in your, you're in your corner and you're just like, fuck this. This is how I do it. It's you, Keith Raboy, and the rest of Founders Fund. No, 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 and, no, no. <laughs> yes. And, and like maybe like a couple other people. And I'm, I, I'm curious about how that feels. To be clear, that's my personal preference. The way that we run the company is mostly remote. Like we have a third of the company that's located in the Bay Area. Uh, we get together at most once a week in person. So my, my preference uh, is not, I realize, is not everybody else's preference. And I think mm. that a lot of people get a lot of enjoyment and a fl of flexibility of having a remote work culture. And also we hired so many people went during yeah. the pandemic. Um, mm. I do, yeah. Do I wish that we could go back to like three days mm. in, in the office and everybody's in the Bay Area? Yeah. Is it ever going to happen? Probably not for me. Um, yeah. But that's what my personal preference would be. But also, I think that there are other departments that don't ever need to be in the office and they don't, they could do mostly everything remote as well. So I, I, I'm not definitely not an all or nothing person, but for me personally, I like to feed off of other people's energy and just, I like mm -hmm. to do things in person. We do design, design reviews in person as much as we can. 
all those types of things. But it's it's definitely not an all in, all or nothing. And I don't think any company, even the larger companies that are trying to bring people back in, I think it's mostly like three days three days a week, um, kind of thing on the very aggressive end. Maybe Gold, Goldman's probably different because they're a bank, and I think I think it's like five days a week, and then it's all in person. Uh, but yeah. for tech companies, I think at most, but everyone's cheating. <laughs> yeah, them, yeah. them, and Founders Fund. And so, uh, right. The, but there was a dinner. I don't know if you guys remember this tweet thread, which is specifically like, like a bunch of VCs and a bunch of founders, and the VC tweets out uh, some thought leadership, and here is the thought leadership: All my best founders that I'm sitting at with dinner are all returning to. Sarah, I can see you nodding here as if you. Uh, know what bullshit is coming and and so i uh, is is there this counter trend of people uh and we're just they're just not in this room or uh do they actually I not actually exist there is. yeah go ahead there, there is i'm i'm definitely hearing a lot more people who would prefer to do it like i, mean, I like i know some companies that are five days a week um yeah. startups with like um you know, like startups with a hundred ish people who are that sort of five days a week. Um, sure. I know a bunch of companies. My wife's company is two days a week in the office. And I know a bunch that are like that, a uh, bunch that are three days a week. So like it's becoming, I mean, at least in the Bay Area, not uncommon, mm-hmm. I think, for this to be the case. Um, whereas I'm definitely finding that like the fully remote, fully async, that is like becoming not that. Like that, I, I don't know many companies other than us. Um, mostly I feel like they're kind of similar to you, Jillian, which is the, I, I'd say like half are similar to you in that they're, mm-hmm. um, within, within meeting time zone. Um, yeah, and right. then I'd say like a third are like, we're going to be in person at least two to three days a week. I had like a um, fear at the very beginning when pandemic happened. Um, I don't know, different people might think they, I, I knew having led a certain company size that I was pretty good at those all hands right? Like as a CEO and you don't get everyone. Cause remember, I also admitted that I kept the assholes in the business. So I definitely didn't get everybody, <laughs> but those that I got, I think I got well. And, and we created something that I, that was a really good vibe. And I was worried that I would be able to, whether I'd be able to do that at a, a synchronous, right? Whether Have I'd be able been? to sell. I think that I developed a different personality, which is akin to the fact that I, I come from radio. I did podcasting for a long time. And so I become a bit of a radio personality on my, <laughs> on my all hands, which is funny. Uh, but like, you know, you just, you find a way to, to make a vibe happen. Joe, do you, what, what choice have you made? You're oh, you muted. We'll cut that. You're still on mute. I like unmuted, muted, or remuted. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. So we, uh, big thing we invested in, we're, we write a lot, way more than any other company. And, you know, uh, to Sonar's point, it has a great side effect of it makes you think through things and words mm. matter and clarity matters. And everyone seeing the same words drives a lot of clarity. Um, and that has been great. And, we, you know, we do some funny things. We, we bought everyone Oculuses and we do get together uh, That's cool. in the meta, wow. <laughs> you know. Uh, and it's actually been awesome. Like, it's really fun. We, we do it, you know, like probably every other week and we're small. We're only like six people. Um, but it's just fun to hang out. We're, we're spread out. We have three of us here in LA, three, three not. Um, but it's a fun chance for us all to like hang and, and play some games and just, you know, just kind of 
whatever. Uh, and that's, that's been kind of our secret weapon. And we try to get together, you know, three, four times a year. That's do cool. You, do you, have you seen Mark Zuckerberg when you're in the Oculus? <laughs> I have not. I have not bumped into him. <laughs> because it's just all y'all. That's the only people that yeah. are there. I have not bumped into right. anyone. There's nobody TV. from Facebook there. Yeah. No. So, so we, we have a few more minutes. I, I love to end on, uh, Sadaris, your, your like top one to three, like learnings in that big Google sheet or Google. Bring out the sheet. Show me the sheet from your, from, from your fir first venture back company to now, um, uh, subscript. Like what, what are those like massive learnings that you've taken over or things that maybe have, have you thought we were going to be massive and they turn out not to be like, what are they right now today? Yeah, the definitely not safe for public consumption. Uh, fact sheet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> much cleanup, but <laughs> um, I think the biggest ones, um, the biggest, I think the biggest one, top one is like around the team building stuff um, and just being way more decisive around it um, and like not really uh, waffling or like making excuses. Making excuses for either candidates or uh, backseat employees, like in right. either case, just like no excuses. Right. Uh, and I find, I, I think I found myself, I still find myself with the uh, desire to make excuses for especially candidates like, oh, they were just having a bad day or like, right. ah, this is, this is a thing that they'll figure out or they'll learn or whatever. Like that's always turns out to be a mistake. Um, that's probably like the absolute number one learning for me. Um, and then I think the other part, and we kind of like, we kind of went through this a little bit when talking about async. I think more than picking one way or another, I think having it all be coherent is a really, it's like the most important thing. What does thing, that mean like, to you, that word coherent? Like for us, the coherence of the async model is uh, we do globally distributed workforce, but then also do async because async is coherent with having people Got based in Vietnam, Romania, Portugal, uh, Atlanta, and San Francisco, whatever, you know, like across these geographies, that's the only way to do it. Um, mm -hmm. Or like having um, uh, a pretty strong culture of autonomy uh, and transparency, because those go well with, uh, you're not going to have someone else to always bounce your decision off or like get permission or whatever. So just do whatever you think is best. But if you're going to do whatever you think is best, you probably should have enough context to make that. Like all those things kind of work well together. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think like, a lot of great startups are built in like a super uh, cult of personality, micromanagey way. For sure. And I think you could totally do that. Like, yeah. I think if you're that kind of founder who like knows all the things and like has all the best ideas, shit, go do it. Uh, but then you probably shouldn't do like the hiring people 12 hour time zones away. You should, you should probably do like have them right next to you so you can look, literally look over at their shoulder and like tell I, them. Uh, I have a quote from you here on micromanaging. One of the biggest things I learned, this is you while founding my first company was how to move away from orchestrating work and get to empowering work. Micromanaging and orchestrating everything really means you don't trust your team. And you stand by that? I do. Yeah, I, I think like when you're micromanaging, you're saying, I don't trust you to make a better decision. Mm -hmm. That's all true. I can make for you. Mm -hmm. I, uh, it sounds like you and I went through a similar process. Unlike you, I have the courage to read my doc on this podcast. <laughs> and so here it is. <laughs> Love it. Here is what do you got? What do you got? I, I'm I wrote, rushing right now. Yeah. 
Andy, you're buying breakfast uh, when when I see you this weekend. Uh, so uh, I have a, I wrote a document called Boundaries, and I have it in my notes because everything is in my Apple Notes, and it says, "quote A set of non-negotiables if you decide to start a new company." Now, the date I last edited this was July twenty June twenty twenty, but I had thought about it before this. You cannot sacrifice years of your life if it turns out you're not happy doing this. Why? Question mark, because this is an experiment in running a company your way. If it doesn't work and if you're not happy, you should halt the experiment and find someone else that will be great at doing it. You can't work with people that are insufferable. If you don't like them or don't respect them, fire them. <laughs> Big exclamation point. This is actually before pandemic. If you discover you cannot do this part time remote, then you need to decide if you're willing to move to the city you need to in order to do this full time. I wrote all these things to basically say, like, I will never cross this threshold again because in my Did first business, have you? Uh, not yet. Not yet. Anything? No, okay. I have not. That's good. Yeah, I have not. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, the pandemic helped me. Uh, I don't know if I would have been able to hire the quality of talent that I have in my business today. I had right. basically not everyone been forced to go remote for a while. Right. So, but. Yeah, you know, for anyone listening to this or even even people on this call, who knows, like, it's great to write it out explicitly and then review it so that you know you're not um, changing uh, the goalposts, is I think the expression. Mm -hmm. I think that's brilliant, having a boundaries. And you know like what else is brilliant? Reading it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all not all of us are so bold. All of the people. <laughs> The names of all the investors you won't work with again. <laughs> yeah. Everything. Uh, well, wh why don't we why don't we wrap up there, guys? Super uh, so lovely. Thank, thank you very you much, everyone, for the time. Yeah, Siddhar, thanks so much thanks for, 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 for joining us. So Hopefully, you learned something. Hey, yeah, we keep it real and we bring you the facts. It's the second time founders podcast. Talking tech news. The show is a must. Not some billionaire trying to sell you their book. We're coming from a real place. Plenty ups and downs. Got some insights. Join the discussion now. We being honest and raw. Giving you real talk. We've been at the bottom and made it happen and much more. The second time founders podcast. More building, less talk.